we are keeping children over here uh, at least for a little bit while longer, uh, just so you know, uh, parents, uh, that we'll be keeping our kids on this side of the street for a little while. If you would, turn to Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, you uh, may find that an interesting, but uh, I, hope, I pray that by the end of this you'll understand why we went to Job on Father's Day. You know, I was thinking all week long about stories that I could tell about my dad and what would be a good sermon illustration. And frankly, I never found one. Um, but I, when I think about my dad and I think about kind of the person he was, one of the things that I always think about was that uh, he always cared about us when, when things happened. And, and we always knew that he would be there. Now, heaven forbid you leave the fridge cracked open or you leave the light on in your bedroom when you left. Um, then you would hear never-ending uh, wrath. Um, but I can remember the first time I had not been driving too long. I was I just turned 16, um, and I had recently got uh, or had recently gotten involved with a, a young lady, uh, my first girlfriend, and I wanted to impress her. And so I asked my dad if I could borrow uh, the truck. Uh, dad had bought a new Chevy Silverado. Uh, about a month before, and so I asked Dad, can I borrow the Silverado? I want to take my girl out on a date, and my dad uh, somewhat reluctantly pushed the keys across the table and said, take care of her, and I said, okay, not knowing whether he meant the truck or the girl, <laughs> and so I got in the truck, and, and I went and got my girlfriend, and we went on a date, and I took her home, and I was coming back home, and as I came back home, a deer ran out in front of me, and bam, smacked it, I mean, square on, like right square everything in the front of the truck completely total and as I'm sitting there on the side of the road waiting for my father to arrive because I called mom not him <laughs> waiting for my father to arrive all I could think about was the wrath that I had seen over you know leaving the refrigerator door cracked open or a light on in my bedroom and all I could think was it was good to be alive <laughs> like I had a good run. 16 is a, is a remarkable age. Like, like I, and I'm looking, I mean, like the Chevy emblem off the front's not there anymore. And I'm like, this, it's over. Like, it's over. And I can remember my dad pulled up, and he got out of the car, and I'm like bracing myself. And he goes, first words out of his mouth were the good words of a father. Are you okay? I am right now. <laughs> And we walked over and we looked at the truck and he went, well, it'll be all right. Who are you? And, but I just remember riding, like we went back to the house and, and we took care of things and, and it did. It, it was all right. Like dad never said one word. He, just, he was just glad I was okay. Now the funny side of that story is several years later, someone looked at my dad and said, you know, the truck's starting to get some rust on it. Dad said, well, I don't have a teenage son at home replacing a quarter panel every three months now. <laughs> but I can always remember that. Like, I always remember that dad was the one that on the little things, okay, maybe we overreacted. But on the big things, the things that mattered, he was there. He had my back. And it was going to be okay. That's a dad. And I'm so thankful for mine. And I'm so humbled to be one now. Uh, something that at one point in my life I never thought was going to happen. Probably shouldn't have happened. Um, but uh, thankful for that. And thankful for the dads that we have in our crowd. 
As we look at Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that may seem like an odd spot to go on Father's Day. It may seem like an odd spot to venture to. And yet, as we open the book of Job, the first five verses are there for us to understand the righteousness of Job. It's to understand who he is as a, or was as a person and for us to understand that, that this was a good man, that it was a righteous man, that it was a man that followed God. And not only that, but it was a man that had been blessed by God. And we see all of the wealth that he had accumulated. We see all of the, the family that he had. And then when it goes to describe his righteousness, when it goes to describe him as an individual, it doesn't, Scripture doesn't go to his business dealings. It doesn't go to his interactions with his friends. It doesn't go to his care for strangers. Where does it go? It goes to Job as a father. And it says this is the example. He was righteous man, and we see that in how he lived his life in front of his kids how he took care of his family. And so I don't think we venture far from the, the real meaning of chapter 1 when we look at Job and ask ourselves, what did he do that was so special? What did he do that made him a good father to the point where that was a defining mark that Scripture wanted to record for us to be able to understand who this man was and why everything that happens after this is just such a tragedy? and yet in the sovereign hands of God. And so, being good Baptists, we're going to look at three roles. Um, some of you get that joke, some of you don't. Everything's threes. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, but we're going to be looking at three roles that Job fulfilled as a pastor, sorry, as a father before his family that God looked at, and, and that was why it was recorded. And so, hopefully by now you found Job chapter 1, and we're going to read the first five verses there. So if you would stand with me that we would honor the reading of God's word this morning, we will do that together. Job chapter 1, again reading the first five verses. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away, uh, turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And then, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for good dads. We thank you for those like Job, who care so deeply for their children, not only their physical well-being, but their spiritual souls as well. We ask this morning that you would take your word and let it be an encouragement and also let it be a challenge that we may see your desires and your will for us and that we may follow it. Father, I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Now, I want to start out here and, and kind of backtrack just a little bit to say this. Uh, it's not often that I, I preach a sermon that's just for one individual group this morning, like we're doing this morning. But I would also caution you that if you're not a dad here this morning, that that doesn't mean you get to tune out. doesn't mean that you get to turn off all your ears and, and your heart and, and just check out of this one. Because when we talk about fathers, there's some other things that come into play. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a father. These are words that should apply to you as well. You should aspire to be a man like Job, regardless of your marital situation or whether you have kids yet or not. Maybe you're here and you're a single woman or, or younger and you're like, well, I don't really know how this applies to me. And this is the things that you should be looking for. When you look for a spouse, are you looking for a man that's going to be a good father? That's going to hold on to some of these same values that Job did? Maybe you're here and you're grandparents. And you don't have any kids in the home anymore. Guess what? That doesn't mean you get to be done being a parent, being a patriarch or a matriarch in your family that leads others to Christ. So I encourage you this morning, don't, don't check out just because... You're not a father. This still applies to you. There's still things that we can learn here. But as we dig into this passage, we do see, I think, three things, three areas that Job accomplishes as a father. First, we see Job as a patriarch. A patriarch is simply the male leader of a family or a group. Sometimes you'll hear the patriarchs mentioned in the Old Testament, meaning uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the founding fathers, so to speak, of the nation of Israel. Sometimes you'll hear a patriarch referred to as a leader or, or a leader of a church. Sometimes a bishop uh, in, a, in other denominations is referred to as a patriarch. But here, as we look at patriarch, it's the definition of the leader, the, the male leader of a, the family. And certainly, Job was that. Job, after all, had seven sons and three daughters. He had the perfect number of sons. From a, from a biblical standpoint, we know that numbers hold significant meaning. And so he had a perfect number of sons, a perfect number of daughters, and therefore a perfect number of children. And he had apparently raised them all successfully. And he had taken his, lead, his role as father seriously. We see that in part through tight family bonds. We see that through the way that they interact with one another. You look there in the middle of our passage in verse 4. It says that his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And then they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. A couple of things here that we need to recognize. One, in no way do we get a negative sense about this feast that they were holding. So many times we hear this and, and we kind of read to the end of the passage and we kind of, I think, because he makes sacrifices, because he goes to, to say that, well, that this, they might have sinned, that we think that this, these feasts were horrible things that shouldn't have been happening. But really, when we read the connotation in the original language, what we see there is these were not bad things. These were good things. These were just family get-togethers. These were family barbecues, so to speak. They were gathering together. That's mine. They were gathering together like brothers and sisters should do they wanted to be around one another that's a blessing and that is a testimony to the kind of dad that job was let me give you a let me give you a contrary example 
that, uh, that, that kind of sets the stage for Job. Look at, for example, Jacob, also known as Israel in Genesis. He's got 12 sons, and what does he do? He begins to play favorites, right? He begins to show favoritism towards one of his children, and it begins to cause problems with all of them to the point that the others take the one and sell him into slavery and tell their dad that he's dead. That's the opposite of what you want to happen, believe it or not. Like, you don't want your kids selling your kids into slavery. Like, that's not a good thing. Just making sure you know that. Okay? That's an opposite picture of what we see with Job. Job had somehow managed to help them all understand that he loved all of them, to the po- and that was the expectation for the family, to the point that they wanted to gather together. They wanted to be around one another. <coughs> Excuse me. The brothers wanted to be with one another. They didn't go off to their own corners of the world and just do their own thing. That was common in this day and time. But rather, they invited one another. And not only that, they invited their sisters. Now, I don't know if you have a little sister or a little sibling, but there are many times in your life that you would just assume they not be in the room. I'm just saying. And my sister would probably say the same thing about older brothers. Okay? There are times that we don't, we, they're just ornery, right? That was not the case with these brothers, though. They had grown up. They had grown to love one another. They had especially known to take care of their sisters. And so they called them and said, hey, you need to come over as well. You need to be here as well. We, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to be a part of the family. We could talk about this and say, well, Job wasn't invited. Well, Job, by this point in his life, had gotten a little bit older. And you'll see other examples of this in the Testament, and I hope I don't offend anybody when I say this, but we all get to the point in our lives when having a four-day party just isn't in our wheelhouse anymore. I'm probably going to get emails about that. But you can imagine Job would have been invited, but he just simply probably said, no, you guys go ahead and have fun. You'll have more fun without me there. And so that's what they did. And, and honestly, if you go in 1 Samuel, there's an example of that where a father does just that. He says, you know, go ahead. Like, it'll be fine. You guys go have fun. That's just not me anymore. And that's okay. But I want you to understand the, these family bonds we see here, they, they weren't being displayed in a negative way. This was a very positive thing that they wanted to get together, that they did so on a regular occasion. This wasn't a happen chance thing that happened every once in a while. This was a regular thing that they would do. None of this happens if Job isn't a good trendsetter, if he isn't the one setting the tone in the family, that this is how we treat one another, this is how we love one another, this is how we serve one another, this is the relationship that we have to one another. So we see Job as a a good leader of his family. We also see Job as a provider. You'll notice there that it says that all of these sons had homes of their own. Job, we see through the, rest, through the first few verses of this passage, had an abundance of wealth. He was an exceedingly wealthy man. And he had taken that wealth and not just hoarded it to himself, but he had passed it down. Now, if you know anything about the way things kind of worked, it was not uncommon for the eldest son to get the most inheritance. He would have been the most well-off. And that would have happened, we think of inheritance, it's only after a parent passes away but then the inheritance would have been handed before that and the first son would have gotten the vast majority of that and maybe the second son would have gotten what was left over but by the time you got to the third and fourth son there would have been not much if anything left 
But we get the idea that that wasn't the heart of Job. He wanted to make sure all of his children were taken care of, that they all started well. Look over with me in Job chapter 42 to see the heart of this man. Job chapter 42, Job has went through an incredible ordeal. He has went through great tragedy. And here in 42, God restores Job's fortunes. He restores his blessing upon upon Job. And in verse 14, it starts this way. Chapter 42, verse 14. He says, or sorry, back up to 13. And he says, he had also seven sons and three daughters. So his children had died. And that, but now he is given children once again. And in verse 14 it says, And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. Somewhere my wife is giggling. He called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. Close enough. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. I want you to notice that last part. He gave his daughters an inheritance along with their brothers. That was unheard of. Daughters didn't receive inheritances. They were to find their inheritance in the husband. He saw the value of his daughters and he loved them in such a way that he wanted to make sure to provide for them. To make sure to care for them. His desire was to meet their needs. We see this as well in the fact that they feasted. The fact that they feasted here. They had been given much. Now we know that ultimately these blessings come from God and we even see that and understand that as we read the rest of our text. But he made sure his children were well situated in life to such that they had been able to go out and to find success on their own. He had raised them well to be able to accomplish a life and a family by themselves. And now they were able to celebrate that, not just by meager means getting by, but even with feast, even with being able to bring together the whole family and to enjoy one another's company. So we see Job as patriarch, we see him as provider, and lastly, we see him as priest. Now we need to remember here that this book is written before Moses. This, before the time when the Levites were consecrated as priests, when they and they alone came before the altar, this was before all of that. And so Job serves as priest to his family. Now let's remember what the the purpose of a priest was the priest was there so that he might be an intercessor a, a intermediate between or a mediator between the the individual and God to help make sure that the individual approach God in the right manner that they would know the will of God that they would have be in right standing before a holy God and Job does this well he does this for his children First, he sends for them, and and you don't have this up in your notes, but he sends for them that he might consecrate them. That word sin there, we need to kind of break open a little bit. That word means to invite. He sent for them. 
that they would come to him. He let them have their fun. He let them live life and enjoy life. But when the time for celebration was over, he would send for his children to remind them that there's also a serious part of life. There's a worship part of life that needs to take place. And so he would send for them. And the idea that we get here in these verses is that they would come. That they would hear the invitation of their father and that they would understand that they needed to be there. And so he would send for them, they would come to him, and then he would consecrate them. What does that mean? It just means simply that he would set them apart. We see this in Numbers, which we studied uh, a while back, that oftentimes this would take place through the sprinkling of water or the sprinkling of blood. And it was a sign of, of purification, but it was also a great sign of just being set apart, being different from the world. And so he reminded his children, hey, You're not like everybody else. Even when you party, even when you have a feast, even when you enjoy life, remember that that blessing came from the one true God and you serve Him. And therefore, you are set apart. Second, we see Him make great sacrifices. It says there that He would get up early in the morning and He would sacrifice for each one of them. Why does he do this? Well, he explains it here in the rest of the the verse. It says, For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He understood that in life, we we all make mistakes, that we all fall fall short of the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And certainly, when we're enjoying ourselves, that opens the door to temptation. And so he just says, you know what, we're going to sacrifice. Again, don't get the picture here that it's Job by himself doing this. He has sent for his children. He's consecrated them. They are doing this as a family. They are watching their dad take the animal and sacrifice it and lay it upon the altar, knowing that it is there because of them. He's helping them to come to a holy God and, and to find righteousness His desire is that they have right standing before a holy God. And so he makes the sacrifice himself. Side note here, I wish... (laughs) I wish this were the case. Now, I wish that as a father that I could make a sacrifice and know that my daughter would know salvation. As it is, I cannot... The only sacrifice that matters is the one that Jesus Christ made, the one that her heavenly Father made on her behalf. And so we go to the third point. He was interceding before them. Interceding just means to go on behalf of. And it says there that Job would make sacrifices that he would offer on the altar for them, and he did this continually. This wasn't a a part-time gig for him. It wasn't just when the feast would happen. This is what he was doing on a regular basis, going before a holy God on behalf of his children that they may have right standing with him. He was interceding on their behalf continually. Before we move on to the application part of this sermon, I want to draw your attention very quickly back to that idea or that quotation of Job. There at the end of verse 5, you have the quotation. It says that it may be that it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. 
And many of you might have a footnote there by the word cursed. And if you go down and read the footnote, it says that the original Hebrew word is blessed. So that's an interesting thing. So that would make the reading then, it may be that my children have sinned and blessed God in their hearts. That makes no sense. There are two ways to interpret this. Historically, historically it has been uh, interpreted as a euphemism. And so blessed actually means the opposite in the context and means cursed. And there's actually a couple of other spots in Scripture where that occurs. And so the idea then from this passage is just what we read a moment ago, that his children had sinned, that, that possibly they had done a specific sin in cursing God, and so he was offering sacrifices on their behalf. And certainly that's a good rendering of the text, and there's good meaning there. However, in my studies this week, I thought it interesting and worth sharing this. As you look at the syntax, and I know that I've already lost half of you with that word, but as you look at the syntax and the grammar of the original Hebrew, you see that several of the verbs, including cursed, rise early, and offer, are all connected and meant to go together. And so, if we read the Hebrew in the context of that grammar and that syntax, this is how it could be translated. And then Job proceeded to send and to sanctify them, being his children. And he rose early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, for Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned, and on that basis they blessed God in their hearts. Okay? So an alternate translation that is faithful to the text, just as the other is faithful to the text, reads basically that Job brought them, that he consecrated them, that he made sacrifices for them, and because they saw this in their father, they blessed God. That is an incredible picture of a father. That because of the righteousness that they saw in Job, that Job's children came before God and blessed him and knew him. That is the picture of a good father. One that leads his children to the throne of God. That they may know him. Which brings us to the application this morning. The reminder of a father's role in the life of his children. A father is a patriarch. and We'll go through these relatively quickly. Father is a patriarch. The father is the leader of the household, Paul tells us. He's the head, just as Christ is head of the church. And with that brings great responsibilities. With that brings the responsibility to lead in all manners of life, to help, for the, to help teach the children the way to be a good and productive adult in life. In the case of Job, we see that play out in how he had apparently taught them to be a family and to love one another and to enjoy one another's company. In the same way, we as fathers have this responsibility to set the tone for our families. I was speaking this week to a friend of mine and we were talking about fathers and we got to talking about uh, generational sin. I know my conversations are weird, but we got talking about generational sin and we looked at Abraham. Abraham had a problem with the truth. Go back and read it. He had a problem with the truth. Guess who else had a problem with the truth? His son, Isaac. Guess who else had a problem with the truth? His son, Jacob. 
the tone that you set for your family, whether you think they see it or not, impacts the generation after you. The great thing is that in the grace of God that you can change that. With the grace of God and by His mercy, you can end one generation and go and start a new tone. Start something fresh in the name of the Lord for your family. But we have to be conscious about it. You know, a better example or maybe a more heartening example is in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, the the psalmist, the songwriter, is describing great attributes of God. And one of the things that he says there is he says that God has compassion on His children the way that a father has compassion on His. Great reminder that as a patriarch, you, you set the tone for your family, but you are also setting an example of what the Heavenly Father looks like. That they may know Him. I know plenty of individuals, and I've shared this thought before, but I know plenty of individuals, and I would include myself in this, that we oftentimes, our picture of the Heavenly Father very much looks like the picture of our earthly one. You are creating that picture in your child's mind, in the mind of your grandchildren, and you don't know how many generations that's going to impact. Not only are we patriarch, but we are providers. Fathers are to be providers. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. Uh, there's not much commentary needed on that. Paul is very direct that we as fathers, as parents, are to provide for our children to make sure that their needs are met. I, I, I think it's important to add this here. We need to be very careful in how we define needs. I think so often, and I have already seen this in my own life, that we make wants needs. And we misdefine the term. And we go out of our way to meet wants. And we neglect needs. We need to be very careful about maybe desiring more money or a promotion that's going to take us away from our family because we think it's going to provide more when the need is time. The need is for our, our children to have us present in their life more so than whatever that extra could buy. Now, I understand that there are times when we don't have choices in that. My dad currently is working 13 days on, one day off, and he doesn't have a choice in the matter. And so to provide for his family, he must work that amount. And I understand that some of you are in same, if not uh, crazier, circumstances. And so continue to provide your family. Don't let me feel, make you feel guilty for that. But there are times when we do have a choice. And we need to question, okay, am I, am I trying to meet a want here or am I meeting a need here? Either way, we, we should seek to be the best providers that we can. Lastly, a father's role is priest. Now, that sounds kind of funny for us, right? Like, we, we typically don't use the word priest. We typically avoid that. Occasionally, you'll hear a Baptist talk about the priesthood of the believer. But remember what a priest is. A priest is a mediator between God and an individual. And especially when your children are small, they desperately need someone to lead them into the throne room of grace. To lead them before a holy God. They've never met Him before. They don't know what He's like. They don't know who He is. They don't know where to find out about Him. 
It's not, you can't look at a five-year-old when they say, who is God, and tell them, well, start in Genesis and read through Revelation. That's not going to go very far. And so you as an adult, you as a father, need to be the one that opens the Word of God and begins to introduce them to this Savior. And I know, I know some of you are going to sit there and you go, I can't do that. I'm not a theologian. I, I don't study. If you can read, you can be a priest to your kids. If you can open up the Word of God and read John chapter 1 and tell them that God came to earth, that He might save us, then you are a priest for your family. You are a mediator that introduces them to the throne of God who shows them His love and His grace. And our prayer is, our prayer is this morning that that the result would be like that second definition of Job That as we become mediators for our family, as we become spiritual leaders for our family, that our children would rise up and bless God because of it. That they would know Him in a personal relationship and that they would worship Him. This morning, I I know that we have spent most of our time directing the Word of God at fathers, but again, I, I would implore you who who are sitting here, who are not fathers, that we have roles to play as well. That we too can be those that mediate for children. That we too can be those that introduce others to Christ. Some of my greatest memories at Calvary were were times that I had the opportunity to be with other people's children and to to minister to them and minister to families as a single. Because I could do things. I could spend three hours developing a game because I had nothing else to do. I could spend more time visiting than others because I didn't have a family to run home to. And it was a blessing and I counted it as such. You have a purpose here in this family to do just that, to help us to raise children. I'm so thankful to be able to raise Rosemary here with this church family, each and every one of you. And I can't wait for her to really get to know you. Right now she can't even tell you from a shadow. But someday she will know. And she will have many uncles and aunts, many grandparents, just as I did at the church that I grew up in, as I still do, and I still call upon them. You have a role in this as well. You have another role that's important to encourage fathers. I always used to laugh that Mother's Day was the most joyous day in the world because all we do on Mother's Day is encourage mothers, and we're so thankful for mothers. But I always wanted to skip Father's Day sermon because you knew that was going to be when the pastor brought the hammer down on Dad. And it was always just a great challenge. But as a church, you have an opportunity. You have a a purpose to encourage fathers. Because guess what? We all fail, and at times we all feel like failures. We all need people to come alongside of us and say, hey, you're doing fine. Trust in the grace of God. You're doing okay. Keep going. We all need that from time to time. We all need to be told that we're doing well. And so as a church, you have that responsibility. Dads, I pray this morning, none of us are perfect in any of these things. All of us are going to fall short in being a patriarch, a provider, and a priest. Know this, God loves your kids more than you do. And His grace will make up the ground. Just as His grace makes up the ground between our, right, our unrighteousness and His holiness, so too His grace makes up the ground 
on your kids. Be encouraged by that. But I also pray that this morning that we would focus. It's easy to get distracted in the world. It's easy to get off course that we would refocus on the call that he has given to our lives. Your kids are the greatest mission field you will ever have. And you have been given specific roles in that. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of prayer. Maybe this morning you're a dad and you just, you just need to pray, Lord, help me to refocus on these things and make a commitment to being the, the spiritual leader of your family, being the one that, that's out front setting the tone. Maybe you just need to thank him this morning for your own father. Maybe you thank him that he is a good father to you. I just pray that you just take this moment. We're going to have a time of worship. You're welcome to stand with us at that time. But take this moment just to respond to the word of God this morning. Before we begin that, let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for all that you give us. We thank you for the ways that you love us. We thank you for the ways that you watch over us. We thank you that you are the perfect example of what a father is to be. And that you give such good gifts. Lord, I've been reminded so many times this week of of Christ when he, he made that, that statement that how much more will the Father in heaven give you good gifts if your father, than your Father's here on earth? Lord, I, I thank you for that. I, I thank you, Lord, as we sung earlier, that you are a good Father and that I am loved. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to pass that along to our children and to those that we come into contact with. Lord, that we would rely on your grace and your wisdom to be the best fathers that we can be. Lord, I pray that you would put encouragement in our hearts, Lord, that your grace is enough, that your strength is enough to get us through and and to help us to be those things that we desire to be in your will. Lord, that we would remember that you you have put us in this position. Father, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be a great family to our families. Lord, that we would be an encouragement to one another, that we would be accountability to one another, that we'd be a blessing to one another as we come together as a church to celebrate you and to celebrate what you've done in our midst. Lord, help us to pour into others the way that you have used others to pour into us. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.